Find your feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Find Your Feet podcast. I'm obviously Hanny Alston. I'm really glad to be able to bring this conversation to you today. Uh, this conversation is with Jodie Willett, a 41-year-old woman who moved to Hobart a year ago. She was recommended to me by one of my great running friends. Um, they tapped me on the show and said, look, honey, you have to interview Jodie. I didn't really know who I was reaching out to when I sent her an email for the first time, but oh my goodness, was I blown away by her CV and her reply. She basically said that she hopes that the conversation today can inspire other people to realise that it's never too late to get your life back on track and to get healthy. Jodie did live a very tough life growing up. Um, she admitted to having a period of time which involved smoking, drinking and a few drugs in there. She channeled her, uh, I guess, her addictive personality into her running, which resulted in quite a number of injuries before she really found her niche in the mountain biking world. She had a massive breakthrough in 2008, winning seventh place at a World Cup cross-country race in Canberra. But she does admit, and we talked about this in the podcast that it was like a golfer who spends the whole life after that chasing that feeling again. This then brought on in our conversation today a discussion around sacrifices and what it really does take to be an elite athlete. The conversation can come across as sounding like we're only talking to elite athletes, but we're not because everyone has a different definition of what success means to them and what excellence means to them. The conversation effectively was saying today that it's really, really important to take a period of time to stop and reflect on where you're going, to empower yourself in that journey and to understand what sacrifices you're willing to make in the pursuit of your version of excellence. I found today's conversation just had so many aha and light bulb moments. I connect so strongly with Jodie's story because so much of what she talks about is something that I feel like I've experienced myself, questions that I've asked myself and emotions that I have definitely felt at times. And if I'm feeling that, then I'm sure that many of our listeners will be also able to connect very strongly at times with elements of Jodie's story and her philosophies. If you love what you hear, Jodie can be contacted through her uh, coaching website, bikeright.com.au, and she's also a, mas- a sports masseuse back here in Hobart. She holds running clinics for mountain bike, sorry, she holds mountain bike clinics for women and kids, um, and she's also been, uh, the for two and a half years, the development coach for mountain biking Australia. So what a woman, what an introduction. Uh, I just want to take one moment before we enter the podcast and the conversation to thank the team in at Find Your Feet. If you don't know what we do, we're an outdoor store and coaching and education service for people where they're willing and able to help you in your journey in whatever your outdoor pursuit is. We also do running tours and if you haven't had a look at those, go to findyourfeettours.com.au. I can also be contacted and I'm happy to take questions and we're also always seeking recommendations of great people to podcast. Alrighty, without further ado, let's jump into our podcast with Jodie Willett. Jodie, 
Jodie, thanks for coming and sitting down in our place and having this discussion today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and welcome to Hobart. Not that long since you moved down here. Um, it was 12 months, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. We celebrated the anniversary by going back to Queensland and getting warm. Yeah, so we're heading back into winter again. And you said the first winter you had here was pretty tough. Yeah, I just, um, you know, you can know it's cold and I've been to cold places, but I've never lived anywhere that's cold and definitely nowhere <laughs> that it's snowed. So um, just totally inappropriate clothing. Um, I'm ready for it now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I totally hear you on that because when I moved to Canberra, I moved there in the middle of winter. This is sort of back in 2011 and it was minus eight degrees on the first morning that I got off the aeroplane and I've just never known cold like that you yeah, know definitely yeah. not prepared for it <laughs> I remember doing a mountain bike camp at the AIS in the middle of winter and I was anyway walking around in shorts and thongs so. yeah that sounds like yeah. me too <laughs> yeah serendipitous that I now own an outdoor store and sell a lot of down jackets but um look I look I'm really grateful that we're having this conversation um I was told by a friend to reach out to you and said they said you know you've got to interview Jody. And when you sent through your bio, I think it blew me away. And I actually flicked it to my husband, Graham, and was like, wow, this person really excites me. Uh, so I'm stoked that we're having the conversation. And I actually wanted to start off, because uh, I've spent a lot of time on your blog, and if for the listeners listening, I think, you know, definitely jump on through the um, show notes and have a look at Jody's blog, because really, like, I love your writing and it's very descriptive. Uh, but I, one a uh, more recent blog that I came across, you wrote that happiness is a choice and you needed to stop waiting for some event or place or person to make you happy. And I found that like a very profound statement and a very honest statement as well, something to write on a public public forum. I'm curious to know, you know, knowing that you've been a very elite athlete, if this is a reason why you raced or, you know, when you reflect back, like where did that statement come from? Yeah, I think um, definitely turning 40, I've started to, um, and maybe coming to the end of my career or thinking that, okay, I'm probably not going to get any faster. Maybe I'm going to start getting slower, but um, no sign of it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think you you start um, really having to examine um, if you're not chasing world champs or things like that, why why you keep going and um, mm. and also start thinking back to the beginning. Why did I start? What did I want out of this? And I think I've had a couple of um, experiences and yeah, I think it's maybe a general feeling, whether it's racing or um, you know pursuit of some other personal goal that people have or I certainly have that well if I can if I just achieve this, then I'm gonna be happy. If I just achieve this, then I'll feel you know, like I'm worthy as a person and um, and the realisation that I've ticked a lot of boxes that people would dream of ticking in terms of going to, to world championships or winning particular races and big prize money or whatever. And, um, and yeah, I think uh, people was oh, that must have been amazing. And I just said, you'd be surprised how not amazing it felt at the time. There was this feeling of, yeah, going on the finish line and then, you know, being involved in celebration at the same time, just thinking, it didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel, you know, yeah. that, that um, feeling of whatever you wanted, validation or whatever, it actually just never came, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and you wonder, well, maybe, you know, do, do Olympic gold medalists, you know, do they feel the same as that? And they keep, you know, one's not enough, two's not enough. And what do you think the answer to that question that you just asked is, like, do Olympic champions feel that? Um... I think they 
I mean, they are incredibly talented, I would say, you know, and, and this is the conversation I have with people as well. With elite sport, um, it, it's a matter of luck in terms of what you start with. So mm. there is that. Um, you've got to have, you know, just be genetically lucky up to a certain point. And after that, that's when the mental drive comes in and, um, and what drives people. And, and I think athletes that are driven by less by external validation and more by um, just wanting to be the best they can be and enjoying yeah. the process of actually pushing themselves. And, um, and I think for me, and this is how I sort of got into the coaching, I, I like that process of having a plan. Okay, I'm going to do this amount of training and I'm going to see what happens and I'll mm. race and I'll look at the result. And then I like going back and going, okay, well, I did that much. Now I'm going to do this amount or I'm going to do something different. And so, um, so I think in the beginning there was a lot of, um, you know, this, a friend said to me, why do you, why do you choose to put all your energy into this and not a career or whatever? And I just said, well, this is the one thing that I do better than most other people. Mm. And there's a finish line that tells me that. You know, like you could be a lawyer, but how do you know that you're the best lawyer in Australia or the top, you know, in the top 10% of lawyers in the world or whatever? As an athlete, you have that, um, you have this finish line and that's how you find out. And uh, and it's pretty, you know, definitive, it's objective. Um, so would you say that the competitive drive for you comes from competitiveness with self or competitiveness against a field of other people definitely for me it's always been against myself and I started in um I started in running so mm. I started cross-country running but then when I got back into it um you know like 10k races half marathons marathons things like that and the thing I miss about running is that um you can you can come 170th in a race but you can be entirely happy with your performance because you've improved on your pb so you've got a course you've got a time you've got your pace and um and it's somewhat independent of of what who yeah. else is racing yeah, yeah you know if you yeah. want to do a three-hour marathon if you go 259 and win it or if you go 259 and come 50th because you're racing in the gold coast or whatever mm. um then you can get that same same amount of excitement and the same sense of achievement. Um, so, so I kind of miss that. Whereas with mountain biking, you know, every course is different and, and times mean nothing, nothing depending on the conditions and yeah. things like that. So, um, so I think that that definitely changed it. And when I went to cycling, it did become, I had very early success and then it become, um, became about, yeah, basically winning and um, pursuing higher goals with us to compete internationally and maybe make a living out of it. Yeah. I feel like I'm sitting at the top of like a string of different water slides and I'm not quite sure which one I want to fly down <laughs> right at the beginning. But I think I might just at the moment like go back a little bit to what we were talking about, about um, weather events and, and the pursuit of success and performance can bring together in it an element of happiness, probably not, I won't say happiness in general, but an element of happiness, because you also said in your, one of your blogs that behind every blog worthy adventure and envy inducing Instagram photo is a struggle between who am I and who I should be. And again, like I found that 
a very profound statement, especially with the rise of social media. And, you know, we've just seen the, um, the Commonwealth Games have just happened yep. here in Australia. And there's a lot of Instagram, there's a lot of Facebook, there's a lot of media around it. And I don't think, especially in Australia, we see those struggles. Um, and I certainly have had my own struggles. So I'm relating to that comment really strongly. But I'm kind of interested to know who you say you are versus who you should be, because that's the statement that you made. Yeah. Have you have you um, followed that thought any further? Um, and I yeah, I guess what again is bring that on. Maybe at this point in in life, I think when I was in my twenties and I was racing, and um, if you talk about you know, it's a bit more socially accepted to oh well, you don't particularly have a career, yes. so and true. it's all right to live on the smell of an oily rag and whatever, um, because you're pursuing this goal. And for some people, and we could talk about that later. For some people, they do seem to regard physical pursuits as somehow more noble than mm. you know someone who's slaving away in coals for yeah. <laughs> twenty five years yeah. or whatever, which I would regard as far far harder. Uh, but yeah, they, they do they do see it as kind of a worthy goal that you're one of these people who happen to be physically talented, hence putting energy into that is acceptable. Um, as you get older, and I think that winds down, then there comes that um, thought about, well, okay, that's where I've put my energy for the last 10, 15 years. What has that brought me? Like, what what now? Um that that is going to the thing about the physical side is that that is that is going to go away and for me um i chose to take that time for that reason is mm. that this is a finite window you are not this is not something you can put off to when you sick well i'll just build a career and stuff and when i'm 60 i'll go on to be an elite athlete you can't you do can't, that yeah. it has to come before everything else yeah. so um so i guess yeah that and for me um it's that looking back and thinking well has it really, has it delivered? It Has it been worth it? So mm. ha, has everything that I um, have learned and found about myself personally, as well as just knowing more about cycling and training and things like that, um, it, ha, has that made it all worth it? Or, um, you know, looking at opportunity costs, would I have been better mm. off? I could have still have, have ridden, but maybe I could have built a career and just been normal and yeah. not represented Australia. Um, so I guess just looking... Looking back at that, um, yeah, oh, sorry, we'll have to go back to the... the yeah, analysis. so I, I guess, like, I guess the question really then is, like, do you, do you feel that you've, you're walking away with what you wanted out of that journey? And do you feel that it's been worth it in terms of what you've learnt and being able to pass on to other people? And maybe I'll preempt what what you might say there, but... To me, like looking at your resume and your career, you have an incredible um, opportunity and amount of work that you've also put into your actual career. Yeah. You work as a sports masseuse, you work as a coach, you've worked for as a development coach for mountain biking Australia for two and a half years. You know, there's a plethora of things that you've done in your career. Yeah. So I'm just kind of, do you see that? Like, are you are you drawing from your own experiences over that ten to fifteen years as an elite athlete and putting that into that world? I definitely, yeah, I definitely feel like that is now, um, that is now what I have to put back. And mm. yeah, so so I guess the the answer to the questions I was asking myself, then yeah, look, I I have, 
I believe it's made me a better person and I believe that, um, yeah, the person that I was back then and a lot of the reasons I started that competitive side um, were not particularly healthy mm. and maybe along the way I've actually um, become mentally a, a bit better person to the yeah. point where I'm pretty uncomfortable letting go of, of that competitive side to a mm. certain extent, certainly with the mountain biking. Um, and now through the coaching I guess I feel like I have all this um, this knowledge and um, like I was saying to you, I was just talking to or, or emailing with a parent and um, one of my young riders who's a 14, very talented girl and um, and answering some of their questions about, you know, well, what do we do? Do we do more? And, and I'm now drawing on my experience and whether mm. it's good or bad, I kind of see myself in her and, and that drive and that um, she's very, very hard on herself mm. <laughs> and... And I, I guess I see me and I think um, it's this desire to kind of, to see those bits that that I guess I had as an athlete that um, in retrospect weren't so so healthy and actually wanting to, to, I don't think you can stop people making the same mistakes yeah. as you because they're going to do what they do, but at least advise them. And, and I always relate it back to me, look, this is where I was, this is what I did. If I had my time again... I really feel this would have made a difference to me. And whether yeah. that was just, you know, um, giving yourself time, seeing it as a longer-term project rather than yeah. having to have everything now and, you know, only thinking to the next 12 months. So, um, so yeah, definitely, um, you know, in working even with the um, – I work with kids as, like, young as five and six and doing wow. the skills thing, so – which is not something that, you know, that doesn't come from me because I never had that. But, yeah. Um, but definitely – Feeling more, um, I've worked at that high, at the elite level as an athlete and also with Mountain Bike Australia as the national coach. And um, and you mentioned the Com Games have just been through. And, yeah. And to be honest, I, I probably didn't tune in as much as I, I should have to the Com. I did watch the mountain biking. But um, I find now that world, maybe because I'm out of it, seems to matter less and less. And there was big question yeah. marks over whether Australia should have sent more athletes and, and I do know the politics behind that. Um, but I kind of said, well, you know, ultimately, in the scheme of things, does it does it really matter? Really matter. You know, question, I, I still respect and work with those athletes who want those goals, but um, they're not goals for, everything, for everyone. And I think um, as I've developed as a coach, it's been more about... Um, thinking about the person and their long-term well-being, less mm. about them as an athlete. And what does that add to their life? Because I've got mostly clients who will probably never win a race. You know, they, they, just, they just won't and they know that. And I have endless admiration for them. I think I still can't really understand why you push yourself as hard as I do. And I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the training. I am blown away that you guys can go out and hurt yourselves and... Um, knowing you know realistic about your chances mm. but uh, but they've got that thing about I just want to be just want to be better than than I was so I as you talk I oh like it, it it just mirrors my own ethos around my coaching and looking back on my career and I just sort of have got to the places um as a coach and an athlete that I feel almost a responsibility to share my journey 
with people, not not my journey, but I guess the lessons from my journey with other people because you talked about that, like you might not be able to stop people going through these experiences or doing it potentially for maybe a reason that's less healthy than potentially another reason that they could pick. But, you you know, there's at least we're sort of putting the warning out there and then being able to support them through that yeah. because we, we understand um, or we empathise. I feel a really strong connection to why why you've gone through the coaching and also how you're reflecting on that athlete journey. Um, Because also, too, when I was reading your blog, um, you said that life is a series of experiences. And I was wondering if, like, we could actually delve a little bit further into that because you've talked a little bit about your your youth and your running and then into your your, um, road cycling and mountain biking career, more recently adventure racing as well. Yeah. And I'd just kind of love to know a little bit more about that so that... Anyone who is listening might be able to get some take-homes from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you uh, you were born in Queensland and grew up in Cairns, Cairns. is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. What was, like, those early formative years like? You said that you didn't have the experiences of, say, being a mountain biker at the age of five, but what was it like for you? Um, no, it was a great place to grow up. Um, we didn't didn't particularly have a sporting family so there was definitely no after school sport but we yeah we're very active as kids and I um somehow got into soccer I used to love watching soccer and um <laughs> had a bit of a bit of a go but there were no no girls soccer teams girls didn't play soccer back in those days so um but yeah I think in um despite being generally active as a young person in primary school you know, our sports days revolved around running the 100 metres or the 200. Mm. I think the longest race we had was an 800. Yeah. Only Sounds like three mine people too. ever did because yeah. it was so far. Um, so, and and yeah, and if you couldn't be faster over 100 metres, you just kind of assume, well, I'm not sporty. Um, or you couldn't throw a ball or couldn't, couldn't kick or ball. couldn't yeah. catch in my, <laughs> my Not being the most coordinated of people either. So, yeah, so yeah I think I just never, never really got into it. Um so it wasn't till I went to high school and um, yeah, I, I actually had a, a, we had to do PE in school. Mm. I had a really good um, PE coach, Dave Whiten, who I ended up meeting again on the um, mm. Sunshine Coast. So he's coached some of the, um, some of the really good cyclists that have gone through, Shara Gillow and, um, but Dave was a, he was a, just loved sport, but he was a cyclist and, uh, um, and runner as well. So I think the first year we did the cross country, which I thought I was going to die. I think we had to run 3K. And our cross country course was not like the courses they had. It was on a mountain. It was okay. mountain running. <laughs> and uh, and I did it and um, and I think I came like 32nd or something like that in my in my grade. I think we only had 100, 100 girls in, in that age group. Yeah. Um, and then somewhere along the... I think I was doing the typical teenage girl thing of probably, you know, having an eating disorder and wanting to be thin and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember for some reason just thinking, well, I'm just going to run to the end of our block and run back. And, and then I basically just started my own training program and just every day I tried to... Or every week I tried to run a bit further. And, and then suddenly I was running like... 10Ks and every morning and then... Yeah, wow. Yeah, so... At what age was this? Uh, so I would have been 13, 13 mm-hmm. 14. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and so... pretty young. Um, and entirely self-driven, I would just get up at 5. I was always up really early and and just kind of 
had my own introduction to, well, if I did this much this day, then I'll just try and do a little bit more. And mm. that's just how it started. And I think the next year I won, won the cross country and then won it every year after that. Wow. So. You said in your email to me when I, um, because I, I have to admit, admit I was a little bit naive and didn't know a lot about you and your story. And you wrote to me and said that those early years when you were running, um, and sport was a bit of like self-medication for depression was that a period of time that was tough for you yeah I think so um my parents divorced at a very young age and um it was about teenage when I went to high school that um yeah my mum and I started not getting along well Mm. together and uh yeah it was just I think not having a not not really wanting to spend a lot of time at home um Mm. I was also pretty I don't know, I was quite shy. People don't believe me when I actually say I'm shy. I'm not naturally um, a person who likes to go out and be the centre of attention mm. or hang around a lot of people. I much prefer kind of one-on-one You're the groups. introvert, and I, that's the same because I was talking about introvert and extrovert the other day, and an introvert is someone who needs to hibernate away from people to unwind yep. and to refresh, yep. whereas you might be an extrovert in your professional life. Um, but that's because your your career requires that of you. Yeah. yeah. And I like people, but I do, I feel like, yeah, it's a lot of it is very energy draining and then mm. I need to go away and be by myself. And yeah. Yeah. So I think the long distance um, running, we also ended up not having a car when I was young. So if we wanted to go anywhere, we have to ride our bikes or run <laughs> or whatever. So it was nothing for us to to go for a 30k ride and go for a swim and then ride home, you know, and old yeah. crap bikes too, not yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the old Melbourne star kind of, you know, step through. Um, so I think that the endurance sport became a revelation to me because I was, it was the first time where I thought, okay, this is actually is representative of the effort that I put in. Mm. So the more effort I put in in preparing for these things, then the faster I go and the more I get out of it. And I was like, oh, I thought, you know, you just got up and ran and you won or you didn't win. So um, I actually love that. I mean, as simple as that statement is, there's so much information out there. There's so many theories and methods and ways. and But it is, it is that simple, I think, like if, you're right, if you have an element of talent at the beginning, which sadly you do, you do need it, and then you're willing to put in, you really get what you put in, like you get out what you put in, Yeah. bar injury. So there's, and that's, yeah, so there's a lot of management, athlete management goes in there, Mm -hmm. but um, I know there was a theory bouncing around a while ago about, oh, well, sometimes there are people who are just exercise non-respondents, and Mm -hmm. done a fair bit of research into that, and... um, and also just personally, I just think that's that's rubbish. I think that um, there is a very, very large variation into response to training. Yeah. Um, but it has been shown that, um, you know, low responders simply need to do a bit more and they need to work a bit harder to get a similar result. And, and elite athletes, I think, tend to be, we're just high responders to training. So we, yeah. and, and we will, our end point will be, will be much faster than than other people but everyone if they put the work in can get better than they currently are yeah and I think when we're talking about putting the work in we're both on the same wavelength that it's not about how much you how much you do but it's about um how many of those elements you strip to 
you string together to get to performance. So, you know, you need your long training, you need your volume, but you need your recovery and you need your sports massage and you have to think about your nutrition. But it, but that effort that you're putting in across the board into all your elements yep. can sum to a performance. And I would say underperformance just haven't found the concoction of those mixes that they need to allow for performance. One of the biggest performance aids that people find difficult um, when I tell them is you, sleep, you have to sleep more, mm. <laughs> you know, and and they often uh, fall into the um, thing, well, yeah, well, I can go to bed at midnight and then still get up from my 4 a.m. training ride and, and they're like, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm putting in mm. the effort and I'm like, well, you're actually, yeah, you feel like you're putting in a lot of effort but what you actually need to do is is support that and you don't have that key element so so you're right it's not always about doing more but it is about um doing doing the best you can when i send a form to someone who says i want a training program the form fills out you tell me what you can do okay there's no point in me prescribing you a 20 hour per week training Mm. program if you don't have 20 hours per week and that's a big um I think it's a big shift for people because they they often come to me and, and look if you're if you're 20 and you're still living at home and maybe you do have those and, and then we can work with that but maybe mm. you can't tolerate that if it's your first year of training then yeah we're not going to do that um but in general you know I train people with real jobs and families and stuff like that and one of my most successful athletes um who's um won his division the crop trophy from the first Australian um, twice in the crop trophy is like a six seven hours a day on bike for eight days and um, guys he raced against were doing thought they had to just go out and ride that much every day and doing crazy amount of training and this guy and I said to people he never trained more than 10 hours a week mm. and the reason that worked for him is because he made it all count he did the right elements but also he kept his family happy his strength mm. was the support he got from his children and and his wife and he used that as inspiration for really putting himself in the hurt box and as long as he felt like he was training and he could still be a good dad and be a good husband that was a perfect balance for him so yeah um, yeah I've got a number of clients who are the same you know I've got one girl actually she's been on the podcast Hannah so for listeners they can go back and listen to her because she has a most amazing philosophy for a 24 year old but you know she's first year into being a doctor and you know huge hours a lot of time on her feet doesn't own a car rides by you know (laughs) and you know so you know there's just so many incidental volumes that add up but what I love to to do and I'd actually love to dig now into recovery and your philosophies on that but one thing that I love to do is to to educate people about you know training is a stress uh, I think stress has a very negative connotation. Like I think when you talk to someone like you might be overstressed, it's like, oh, but I, you know, I'm happy. You yeah. know, nothing's wrong with my life. But it's looking at all the different stressors, training being one of them, and looking at how they're summing up. Because if your you know, nutrition is lacking, your sleep is lacking, your training is high, your workload at work is high, maybe you're a single parent, maybe you have kids, maybe you're building a house, you know, there's a number of stressors in there and people can um, be underperforming and wondering why and thinking that they're not fit enough and then they do more and then the stresses go up. So for me, like I love to look at where is it simple to reduce stress and recovery and nutrition and sleep are just the easiest ones to, and and adapting training are the easiest ones to make someone go from feeling under 
underperforming through to feeling like actually yeah. like really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just thinking about yesterday about what what stress actually means because I mm. was massaging away just thinking I'm a bit stressed right now. And I was like, what is what is stress? Like I'm pretty happy, like I'm pretty happy with the way things are, but it's um it's that feeling of the things that you have to do um that you don't you know like if you took everything you had to do they're not it's not overwhelming in itself Mm-mm. but it's that feeling of not having enough time mm-hmm. to complete them all mm-hmm. so it's literally trying to fit too much into the 24 hours that you have in one day and time or energy yeah. energy availability emotional um strength yeah. i think as well and i think people don't and myself i am just an absolute bandit for fitting 25 hours into 24 and and i think in society we try to use that as a badge of honor and it's Mm. not particularly healthy and it's something that i've had to had to sort of realize as well that um you know life isn't supposed to be an exercise in efficiency you know Mm. i think it it is worth examining where do we waste time in the day and social media is a big big one especially for me um but you know we, we could always streamline it but it is you actually need those breaks and you need time to to do nothing and mm. to have that recovery it's not recovery is where the fitness happens okay the Absolutely. training is the stress yeah. the recovery is where the body gets stronger so if you don't have that um and and one good example is and i I'd say this to my clients you know i have a client who's been training let's say 12 hours a week at a certain load um all of a sudden um, stress increases at work um, he's now got to fill in for someone and essentially do mm. two jobs it may not be even an increase in hours so much but just he feels he has more to do during the day than normal um, you know he they may be having relationship problems I've got a guy who started training and then decided to renovate his house on the <laughs> weekend so you know the going for a four-hour ride and then laying on the couch and recovering and going for a four-hour ride and then, you know, knocking the kitchen down are two very different stresses on the body. Very uh, much so. so. And people don't, they think if I'm not riding or if I'm not training, it's not stress. And I said, well, is, I have a physical job. I have always massage, you know. Would I have been able to recover better if I didn't do a five-hour ride and then have to be on my feet for five hours yeah. massaging people? Probably. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, you know, I say to them, look, it, it's... Your capacity to, to train um, doesn't stay doesn't stay the same. It is affected by things that that happen outside. You know your life events. Yeah. Um, and getting enough sleep is um, it's a big thing. It's been shown that people you know don't get enough sleep, and it, it it's going to it's the people who get up at four a.m. because they really are going to bed at yeah eight eight, 8 p.m. You know that's yeah. not happening if you've got a family. Um, and nutrition, you know, nutrition is a big one as well. I'm sure you've had the um, the magic gel mm. uh, <laughs> psychology about, you know, well, I'm just going to take these gels on race day and that's magic. It's like four minutes a day. Yeah. It's like, well, r- race nutrition starts when you're training. It starts from... It starts in life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, I'm, I'm a big... Um, yeah, I'm no fun to take out to dinner because, <laughs> you know, I'm not. I think when I was an elite athlete, I was very probably over the top and probably lost a lot of the joy of social eating and things yeah. like that. And I think it's important to keep that in. Um, but, uh, but you know, just looking day to day, we have so much information about what to eat. Um, it's very confusing. And as a coach, I try and 
you know, just keep it simple. It's just just eat real food. Like it's, yeah. you know. Do what your grandmother would recognise, yeah. It shouldn't come in a packet. Most of the time it should not come in a packet. It's just, you know, um, it, it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be expensive. Don't need to be buying superfoods or whatever. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think the nutrition one is just a metaphor for, for the, the rest of what we're talking about because, I mean, the human body isn't a robot. You know, and it doesn't work in a, in a bubble, in an isolated environment. And you get, I get numbers of clients as well who come and say, you know, I can't understand why I'm injured. I can't understand why I'm run down. You know, I did this training. I've done this training for the last three years. Yeah. Um, now I'm suddenly injured. What's gone wrong? And then if you, if you say, well, what's changed in that period of time? Or, you know, I've had a child or I've changed jobs or, you know, now it's winter and that was summer. Like you're changing stressors um, yeah. that that training and that recovery and the importance of nutrition will come in waves as you kind of progress as an athlete. Um, And I think you and I are probably also finding that it's also cumulative load on a body. And one thing I've noticed is I I just can't do the volumes of training that I once used to be able to do, particularly the high intensity, the volume bit, maybe not such a problem yet, but that high intensity, like running a business and all the other stressors that go on in my world as positive as they are, yeah. you know, it means I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're finding? With, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I look back at the training that I would do would be, you know, if I was training at top level, it'd be 20, 25 hours. Wow. But, you know, I, but to be honest, yeah. I got very, very sick and I ended up being very sick for about a year so that's why I'm always as a coach I'm probably a bit more reluctant to push the envelope sick in which way do you mind me asking is that too pointed no um so you know I again I looking back you know I got into mountain biking very late I was 29 and really have the luxury of sitting mm. back and going well I'll just do long-term athlete development I'm like well if I'm going to give this a go it's got to happen pretty quickly because I'm old you know mm. by cycling standards yeah um I probably could have given myself a bit more time, but, you know, I went from, um, you know, probably being inactive for a while and living very unhealthy, having a baby, then getting back into activity, running for a few years, and then and then suddenly trying to be an elite-level cyclist. Um, the thing with cycling that's different to running, if you overtrain with running, you generally have an injury that stops you from running. Mm-hmm. Okay, if with cycling, because it doesn't have the same load on the joints and the body, you generally can clog yourself, but what will happen, you'll get systemically sick. So you'll get overtraining syndrome. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think the running um, kind of saved me a bit because I would get injured frequently, so <laughs> I have mm-hmm. to stop training. Whereas the cycling, I was just free to, to keep going, keep going. And, and I had that experience of my default my performance is declining i need to do more when at the time what i needed to do was actually rest and do less and um i didn't like i had coaches guiding me but probably didn't didn't really listen i I probably from that you know hard nut kind of personality where i thought well i'm gonna let them know that i'm i'm not feeling so good because that just means I'm not hard enough or whatever and yeah just got it's sort of like going. a case of toughen up princess toughen up yeah. yeah so yeah after doing um you know sort of 25 hour weeks we're going to 30 hour week and then um my daughter got a stomach virus and she threw up a couple of times and then two days later I got the same virus um it shut down my liver my kidneys my stomach um, wow when I went back to the GP the next week he said can't believe you're sitting in front of me because with your blood results you should probably be dead um mm. and it was because my immune system was so destroyed from training from training yeah. that um the slightest bug 
just went went down, got very, very sick. Um, I got all sorts of, I mean, one, my performance was declining. Um, I got all sorts of sim- symptoms, weird stuff, like I got a metallic taste in my mouth for some mm-hmm. reason. Um, I had twitching, my whole body was, the little twitch like you get in your eyelid, I had that in my whole body. They tested me for neurological disorders like MS and things like mm. that, which was pretty scary. But eventually they just came to the conclusion that you've just, you've just overdone it. Um, and then I ended up getting, um, I was doing uni because I couldn't train. I thought, oh, well, I'll start studying <laughs> as well because I'm doing reduced training. And, um, and I think it was just the tip, you know, just tipped me over the edge. And uh, I came, I was studying one night. All of a sudden I couldn't move my shoulders or my hands or anything like that. All my joints pretty much froze and I got um, parvovirus, which is a virus that people normally get and they don't notice it. And uh, But if you have a compromised immune system, which is usually people who are undergoing treatment for cancer, um, basically you come down with um, viral arthritis. Yikes. So, yeah. so I basically got arthritis, temporary arthritis in every one of my joints. Um, my friend's boyfriend had to cut my vegetables up for me to make dinner and wow. couldn't do anything. And then I couldn't work either. And then, yeah. Pretty so much. was this in, um, in my homework, in my <laughs> research on your career, which has been, I mean, so scary at times, some of the experiences that you've been through, but also absolutely incredible what you've achieved as well as an athlete, particularly, like you say, coming into the cycling element later. But, you know, in there, there was also a pretty, pretty strong running career. <laughs> um but you did talk about in 2008, that was when you had, you know, your big breakthrough. And you then said that afterwards was like being a golfer who spends their whole life chasing that feeling again. So was was this incident that you're talking about, about like the overtraining and really breaking down as an athlete coming after that point where you'd had this taste of what could be and then it was that chase so it was basically after that so yeah 2008 was the breakthrough and mm. i trained and reached my peak training and look i was probably a little bit cooked going into that but um i was just so fit it just yeah and um i still remember that race it was just felt magical mm. <laughs> but, i think we've all had those experiences because when you when i read that i you know you just brought to mind that exact feeling for yeah. me too you know and then was i had probably actually never really thought about it like that but I think it was a chase, you yeah. know, for me as well after some of my, you know, better results. It's yeah. like a high and you just yeah. keep th- – and that was – and, you know, again, from that point, I probably should have taken that time to celebrate that achievement, had a couple yes. of weeks off the bike. Yes. But it's not – you think, oh, my God, I'm riding so well. Yes. I just want to keep going. And then I went into the next national series – you know, without a break, and that's when I started to break down. And so, with probably more pressure on both yeah. from yourself, but also from the external environment. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. it's it's fascinating, and it, I think it's really good. It's really good to be again having this conversation because if you and I are having this yes, yes, yes yeah. kind of connection, then there are other people out there who are also needing to hear this and join in that. Aha! Gosh, that's that's really what what I've been on that journey I've been on because yeah. once you get on that road until something really goes pear-shaped it's actually really hard to get off yep yeah, yeah for sure and you, you I've read heaps of stories about you know we're not alone about athletes who who live in that state for years they may not crash as hard but they're certainly not operating at their optimal um you know level of performance but the thing yeah but the thing is then 
the psychology that springs to my mind for me was like, there must be something missing. There must be something I'm not doing. There must be something that I need to bring back. And so rather than kind of cutting back and being, being brave enough to kind of peel back and refine it and get back to the basics, you start to add more and more and more and more rules and restrictions or challenges yep. into yep. your life. If and I just stop eating gluten, if I yes. don't eat dairy, yes. you know, maybe it's that. So yeah, yes. been through, been through all of that. Yes. So. Yeah. And I think it's a brave soul who actually can wake up one day and go, you know what? It's not for me. You know, that stuff is not for me. Yes. This is what I need to do. And I often find too, that's the place where people come to coaches because to be honest, they've either tried everything or they're just so bloody confused yeah, that yeah. they feel like I just need someone to tell me what to do. But do you, I've had several of those people, normally young women, and it's the hardest sell. And I, I can tell probably the first time I'll take them on because I will give everyone a chance, but I can usually tell that this is not going to work because they don't, they don't, they want me to tell them anything except stop writing. Yeah. Which is what they need to do. Yeah, yeah. Or ride less. Yeah. You know, for me to tell them, look, I just want you to go and do a recovery river loop hour, hour and a half, four times a week. That's all I need yeah. you to do for the next month. And then you look at their training peaks and that's not what they've done. <laughs> yeah. I think that was kind of what really drove me into coaching, particularly adults, yeah. was that a lot of that support. So I worked at the AIS in the lead up to the London Games. So I was um, living in Resi's my so in the athlete residences uh, and my role was to oversee the welfare of the athletes living there. Yeah. So it included the Paralympians and the non, um, non-Olympians and then obviously the, the able-bodied Olympians. Yeah. And what I found was I was blown away by the support that these athletes got. But if you weren't really in that Olympic sports world or striving for comm games, you know, that's just been, yeah. uh, you don't have access to that. No. Um, so you know, you can come from being a world champion in another sport, but because it isn't an Olympic sport, um, you don't you don't get that support. And and then I started like doing a lot of coaching with the trail running world, um, which is probably quite similar to the mountain bike world in comparative, and just noticing that these people were training, like you said, just as hard as me, but they potentially just didn't run quite as fast. Like yeah. the outcome wasn't you know, elite, but their training was elite, their psychology was elite, but they're not getting access to that support and they're also not getting access to that information. Yeah. To me, that was kind of because of everything that we're talking about is it's so vital that if you are striving for these big goals, long goals, hard goals, that, you know, you you get the right support and you get the right education. Yeah. And I think I underestimate as a coach and I'm, I... I guess now see myself developing more as a coach and spend more time just thinking, how do I be a better coach? Mm. And um, it's a real shift because, yeah, a lot of it, you know, it's very easy to, to just say, um, well, the athlete will just never get it. But now I turn out and I just think, what am I doing wrong as a coach? It's my job. You know, if I'm taking someone on a skill and they can't do a wheelie, I need to find other ways to explain the skill that will allow them to do that mm. because I know they can do it. Mm. Um, and it's the same with the athletes. There are um, athletes that have different mindsets and it's my job as a coach to, to try as, as hard as I can to to present that message in a way that will make them more receptive. And, mm. you know, um, yeah, it, 
I take for granted because I never had mountain biking was a pretty niche sport. It's it's much bigger now than mm. when I started. Mm. Um, but it's a very niche sport. It still gets no it gets less support from the AIS and the Sports Commission than mm. it ever has. Um, and so you know we were left alone to work out stuff like sports nutrition and recovery yeah. and things yeah, like same. that. Yeah. And um, I was pretty interested in that field. And so for me. I did a lot of reading and I understood it pretty pretty well. Um, not to say I always got it right, but I definitely had that understanding. And one thing that as a coach, I often often forget to explain that to people because I just assume that everyone knows that. Mm. And the thing that blows me away more as a coach is what people don't know. Mm. And that's not a, you know, oh, why, why don't you know that? Are you an idiot? It's just if you don't, you know, if your field is, being an accountant and that's what you do for a job then you're not going to know anything about yeah. human physiology and, and about things like sports nutrition so so I think it's the it's the world you surround yourself in I guess that's sort of what you're saying but it's also the people you surround yourself in so when I was running marathons no one really used sports nutrition yep. you know and it was accepted that you didn't eat breakfast you had a cup of tea you rocked yep. up to the start line and you, you ran a marathon <laughs> yeah yeah and you know, so I think it, it's about the culture and the culture does, I think it, it is changing, but it needs to change that, especially in Australia, that it's just more training, more load, you know, and that's what gets you good. But I yep. think now we're getting to that place where you're right. Like the athletes need to equip themselves with the knowledge. Yeah. And I think sometimes, yeah, there's a lack of knowledge, but simultaneously too much information. The marketing side. The marketing yeah. side and, um, and I think the role of a coach is to try and cut through that. And I can tell you it's a hard sell because every time I turn around, I've got, you know, some 14-year-old athlete telling me they need to take this magic powder mm. that's gonna, that he's mm. taking and that's going to make. And I'm just like, you know, I always try and, and bring it back to, um, you know, well, what are you doing? First, let's go through where you eat breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, what are your protein requirements? Are you getting enough through your daily diet? If you are, mm. what's the reason for this extra, mm. you know, supplement? So I think cutting through um, a lot of the marketing hype is part of our job. Mm. And it's it's really hard. I spent a lot of time um, reading a lot of scientific journals about the, the efficacy or not of a lot of these things. And uh, a lot of them are one half percenters and people are doing that before they, before they do, the, do the 20 percenters, <clears throat> you know. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, definitely the, the great thing about people with no knowledge is that you can make so much difference just mm. by telling them a, one simple thing. Yeah, I think it's if, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about maybe I, maybe I need a coach to help me navigate this, there's a difference coming to coaches between um, just tell me what to do versus being willing to learn. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, the best thing you can do if you're confused by all this world is to go back to the science to, to get below the marketing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the branded and to work out what, what's the science say. And yeah. when you, when you understand the science, it can be quite simple. Um, and working with your coach to empower yourself to be able to make decisions for yourself that are going to lift you, not yeah. hinder yeah yeah so as a coach and if there's any coaches or even just people who are interested out there i found um twitter <laughs> it's really great yeah i follow on twitter um pretty much only sports scientists and people involved in that sports mm. field and they use it mm. to 
um, distribute a lot of open access papers. So, um, yeah, normally you have to subscribe to a particular journal yeah. to get access to that, but they tweet a lot of papers that are open access. Um, a lot of them are review studies, which are a lot more user-friendly to read, but are, are backed up by peer-reviewed studies. But yeah. what does the research actually say you know, is going to be your improvement or likely improvement by using the substance. And, um, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of um, infographics by a guy called Jan Lemur, which are mm. really, you know, they, they give that information to your average person in a, in a picture form that's really easy to understand. And I try and use those a lot with my athletes as well. So, mm. um, yeah, I just think, you know, perhaps your um, – magazine if they still make them but your online mm. magazine sometimes that receive advertising dollars from you know certain companies to promote whatever it is five parts of nutrition yeah. or whatever um maybe aren't the best sources at times yeah i definitely agree and it's definitely what has been driving me in coaching um i wanted to then <laughs> done a bit of a loop but wanted to to return to you to your story because we we got to the place where you were you were overtraining, you were burning. Um, and then I think it was in 2010, was it, that you just needed to go back and work out why you were doing it and how you could bring the fun back into what you were doing. Yep. So I guess that's not too long a period from the sound of it where your, where your psychology changed and you sort of put the brakes on and was like, why am I doing this? I think correct? it was... There's also that realisation of how fragile, like if you're putting all your energy into sport, how fragile that is. Because one broken arm, mm. one time getting sick, you know, it's all pretty much all you've, and we've seen it in, I'll use Tour de France as a, mm. you, know, you know, we have riders that are now literally training for that one race and in the first day they fall off and break their arm and that's their whole whole season mm. done so so i think it was that realization that um it was a very dangerous ground to just define myself on results and um and basically you know a lot of the, the psychology especially in terms of um sponsorship and i remember a sponsor coming to me and it was marine flight center and, and they gave me a they said oh well you know for your um this season we want you to give us a you know a list of races that you're doing and whatever so I gave them my list and they said oh well, which one of these that you you know expect a podium in I just all of them <laughs> why would I do a race that yeah. I wasn't gonna win or podium you know that, that was just that was just my psychology it was yeah. like it was all about winning why would I why would I do something if I wasn't gonna win it um so so I think um I was just forced to um to start to to think what do I get out of mountain biking? And even at that time, I thought, I'm actually not that attached to mountain biking. It's not mountain biking that I love. It's the competition. I came from running. I wanted to run. I wanted to be a good runner. I couldn't do that because I kept getting injured. I just switched to mountain biking because it was there. I had a mountain bike. My, my running group actually brought me a mountain bike because my old bike got stolen when I had stress fracture because they thought, Jodie will need that again. She'll need to. Oh, so wow. that's how I got into mountain biking. And then I got injured and I just found a mountain bike race and went in it. So it was accidental and it wasn't because, oh, I just really dream about mountain biking. It was just satisfied a competitive urge. And I was like, okay, I have to learn how to not fall off. And that's how I got into it. It was actually a few years of riding before I got to a point, I was on a ride one day actually, and it's like, I actually enjoy this just for the, the sensation of mountain biking. 
And up until that point, I was like, look, mountain biking's great, but if another opportunity, if I couldn't mountain bike, I'll go and do something, you know, mm. I could do whatever, I'll switch to road cycling or, or whatever. Um, but it was probably at that point where, yeah, that, that competitive thing had been taken away and I actually thought, I actually just really like riding. I really like mountain biking. And, and you said that, it, you know, that the, the racing was what excited you. But was it the racing or the pursuit of excellence? Like that feeling of becoming a better Jody, like pursuing something that made you feel like you were going places? I actually, um, the racing is not something that I ever really enjoyed. It's not, I enjoy the training. Mm. I enjoy the planning and the yeah. lead up and the training. The racing, I'm always the one almost vomiting on the start line. Um, yeah. I've learned to come to terms with that because I now think that that just tells me I'm excited and I try to reframe that. It's something I try and do with my da- athletes as well, reframe those feelings. Yeah, to, that it's meaningful It's a, it's a sign for, yeah, if you, yeah. And I say to people, if you get to a point and you're not feeling nauseous on the start line, then go home because you don't care. You don't care about being there. Um, and that's definitely for me, whether it's a, a 40-minute creep that I do every Saturday morning, same feeling. Um, so, but the racing for me was, um, the thing I loved most about it was, yeah, the it's, it's the justification for all the training, mm. pretty much. Yeah. This is this is where I show people so what I've been doing with my time, <laughs> with my twenty hours a week. Um, yeah. I also love the the travel. For me, it was about seeing new places, and um, I've never really travelled before before I mountain biked, and since then, you know, I've travelled all, all over the world with my yeah, bike. Yeah, to have and, that experience. Yeah. So when you change that psychology, uh, what was what was the definition of success after that for you? Was it still sneakily like I still really want to achieve that result or or was there another definition that you can identify with? I've definitely had, you know, like I think back to that Breakthrough Performance 2008, I didn't win. I didn't mm. win the race. I came seventh, which is good in a World Cup, but to be honest, sponsors don't care. They, mm. they don't recognise seventh in a World Cup as better than winning the local Tasman, you know, <laughs> club yeah. race, like they just want to see podiums or whatever. So, um, it, but I knew that my preparation, I'd done everything. I hadn't drunk, I hadn't touched alcohol for three months. I had got to bed. I got my, you know, like it was the process of, um, and I've had that in another race uh, when I did the Epic and I knew looking back on my training, I'd hit everything that I wanted to do. So every week, had a set amount of training I wanted to do and it, it just logically built on it and I had certain key sessions and I was like, I just want to nail that session. And I nailed it all and I got to the the start of the race and and I looked beside me and I was and I said to people later, I was like, there were some really good riders. I was like, I'm gonna win this and I just knew. But at in the race I was leading, had a really good lead, and that thought comes into my head, what if we get a flat? What if we get a flat? And I actually said, Well look, if I get a flat I'm actually satisfied. I just have to live with that because mm-hmm. I am satisfied at the moment that I'm the best rider on the day. There mm-hmm. may be bad luck and my bike may break, but I know in myself that I was the best rider on the day, even mm-hmm. if I don't win. So um, I think having that sensation of and saying to people, I've had the best races personally, but not one. But then I've had some races I've won that meant nothing to me because, mm-hmm. you know, um, road like crap and um <laughs> so when you when you change that psychology do you feel like you started to Im- improve again in yourself like as an athlete did it 
did yeah did you get back on a healthy track and start to sort of feel like you were growing as an athlete yeah I think I just became a bit more self-aware being really sick made me take more note of what my body was telling me and also mentally I I started to um realize that a lot of the changes in my um my mental approach were indicative of doing too much if I became I had experienced depression as a young person Mm. and and it's been shown that exercise helps with depression but to a certain point and when you start overdoing it you'll find that um that you do start to experience that depression because the the effect on your body often exhibits itself in in mental effects before the physical effects will show up yeah it's true yeah so um so yeah I sort of I just became a lot more in tune with um with my body and and just I was less afraid to to take a break and was more interested I'd experienced what it had like to be not just lose my sport but lose my I couldn't work um as well so do you find that having been through those experiences in running and then in in that 2009 period and I'm sure that you had periods after that where you made errors and probably burnt yourself a little yeah, or did races <laughs> yeah yeah do you find though that more and more you feel like you're wrapping yourself in some cotton wool like do you find that it's hard to find that balance of like pushing pushing but knowing like when to stop versus wanting to pull back a bit from the edge because you know what potentially can happen do you do you ever have that juggle yeah it's um definitely i i'm trying to think physically so now i just need to be you know i'm working more i need to contend with the weather because you know it's one thing to go riding in the rain in brisbane it's another thing to go riding in the rain in winter in tasmania it's actually Mm -hmm. not healthy and not yeah. really safe yeah um so i look at again you know the amount of training hours i i do now and i'm less i know that there's a base you know and i know that i, I need to do at least this much just to be to not feel like a slob you know <laughs> so yeah so this is this is my base where i just don't feel like a slob this is my where I found that my optimum racing was. It's about 17 hours a week mm-hmm. of training. When I was just riding, I was like, yeah, I know that I've had some really good results. So that's my that's my range. So, And now I try not to get – I used to be very um, anal about hitting that mark. And now it's just more, I don't know, just you realise that there's actually no optimal. There's optimal for you at a particular time. Mm. And um, and also that realisation, the whole diminishing returns kind of yes. thing yeah. about that extra hour of training. is You know, if I would, if I had a four-hour ride to do or a, say I had my coach had gave, given me 120 k's to do, if I got home at 119 k's, I would ride 500 meters down the road yeah. and then ride 500. I used meters to back. train with girls like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yet I rode with the guy who won a junior uh, world championship medal, and he was like, "Oh, if I had 100 k's to do, I got to 87, be right." <laughs> I just went home, and and you start to realize that you know there's a range, and just know your range. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to be above being a slob, but you know probably below where is my optimum training because that's not my life yeah because you made a comment on your blog that um i guess being an athlete or pursuing excellence is about making sacrifices and there's 
in all of that, there's a scale of sacrifices, isn't there? And that's what you're saying is like, is it worth doing that extra hour if it means that, you know, I'm going to sacrifice in this bit that is really important and meaningful to me at the moment as well? Yeah. 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 So I think definitely, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more life balance and there is, I've just started studying again and um, I had to go up to Toowoomba for residential school and, and I was thinking, well, I really want to do two-hour ride, but it means I have to get up at four um, and then, you know, so, and then I'd be tired all day and, and I had two assignments due and I actually made that thing and I was like, I'm going to feel better as a person if I actually stay up late and finish my assignment and then get an extra hour of sleep <laughs> in the morning and then go for a ride and just enjoy, you know, like, and again, that's that range. Yeah, I really want to do a two-hour ride. But one hour is my minimum to feel yeah. like, okay, I'm just being healthy. Yeah. And it's just being able to choose the one hour and giving yourself permission. Now I think that's um, that's probably the change from pursuing that elite, you know, no compromising. And you do, to be that elite athlete, um, you have to compromise less. That is their life and that is a huge commitment. And I remember reading, so Gun Rita Dahl was the, um, the top female rider uh, at the time I remember her <laughs> saying that she had to she had to tell the family she couldn't she couldn't cook the Christmas roast this year because it was too much stress on her <laughs> legs walking up and down the stairs and and they moved their living quarters downstairs so she oh didn't have to, you know like it's yes. that's that's extreme um, so yeah do you think that um, if you were to so irrespective of age that's probably a whole nother question mark in itself. But irrespective of age, if you were to dedicate yourself to the pursuit of excellence, but to be able to maintain a career that means that you can fund yourself to have a healthy relationship with your party, partner, you're also a mother, yeah. um, you're studying again. What are you studying? By um, doing biomedical science. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah, that's actually my background. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, and then potentially you had a bit of study in there as well. Do you, do you think that it's possible to still be a very elite, if not like world champion level elite athlete? Or do you think it, the world does have to feel narrower to get to that? I, and I think going back to the whole Instagram, Facebook, I think we've been led to, a lot of people lead us to believe, and I'm guilty of it as anyone, that um, we can have it all. That, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and I'm doing it all well. And mm. and I don't think that that's, I don't think that's possible, not just in elite sport, but anything. You know, I think people who are very successful CEOs, you know, often have very dysfunctional personal lives yeah. in that building phase, you know, definitely when they're establishing them. I don't think, I think the pursuit of, of anything to its, um, to its most elite expression involves sacrificing other parts of, of mm. life. Um, if you really get down to the, to the story and don't just believe the, you know, the surface marketing. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, it's that range, you know, if you're a parent, um, are you going to be at every school recital and sports day and um, pick your kids up from school and, you know, drop them off in the morning and stuff like that? And the answer is probably not. But, you know, as a family and your support system, is that conversation, well, okay, this is what I'm going to do and um, 
you know, um, if the family supports me in that, then hopefully, you know, the, the kids, you hope your kids will understand if they're very young later mm. that what you're doing, um, and certainly I do as a parent, it's like, well, yeah, I'm tired all the time and I was away racing and I've missed a lot of things, but I hope that down the line what I'm doing inspires you to, um, makes me a better person and benefits you in that way or inspires you to, yeah. to see what is possible um, yeah. because it's not a typical not a typical thing to do. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's still a sacrifice and it's not... You know, um, especially with parenting, it's always <laughs> my friend was well, we're never going to win Mother of the Year, <laughs> and that's the thing. And I don't think you can, if you want to be Mother of the Year, then focus your energy on that. Don't try and be an elite athlete. That's not yeah. to say that what you're doing isn't going to have positive consequences, but you know, you can't, you can't do it all. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think you know, it's it's no, um, it's no coincidence that a lot of athletes. Um, are in relationships with other athletes or their coaches or whatever. People that understand that psychology. People that and they understand it or are directly involved in in that day to day life because it's it's very it's very selfish. It's it's very selfish. But you know, the like I said, the pursuit. If you think you'll find a lot of great people, whether they're athletes or great scientists or whatever, probably yeah. are very selfish. And I don't say that in a bad way, but as in. Uh, I need to really focus on just this one thing and that comes at the expense of a lot of other things. And I think it is really important to actually stop in your tracks at some point and have a really good think about where your tolerance is, <coughs> your tolerance is with sacrifice. You know, especially now that I'm in, you know, a really important, meaningful relationship to me, um, we are building a house, you know, we run a business that a lot of people rely on for their incomes and a lot of community rely on for their inspiration and support. Yeah. You know, what, what, what amount of that am I willing to sacrifice in the pursuit of my own goals in yeah. particularly competition? I, I think this, I don't think it's an easy answer or question to answer yeah for me that question really started popping up around two years ago when I turned 30 uh, you're right like when you're in your 20s it's kind of like it feels like you get a social license to be selfish well, you can be crazy you yeah can you can do, do whatever yeah, you want whatever you want and you can make mistakes and you go yeah but I'm in my 20s yeah, yeah. whereas somehow when you hit like adulthood um and womanhood I think it, for me that was what stopped me in my tracks and I've talked openly about that as well but I think like more and more I sometimes I feel myself pushing forward and almost about to break into that making big big sacrifices and only to find like I, I kind of am pulling back again because yeah. it doesn't feel right and I think it's important to have that stopping point and actually yeah. go what is this for me because otherwise you, you get on a bit of a roller coaster and you run with it and then you suddenly realize you've left your career your study your partner whatever behind look it was no um no coincidence that I was single for almost a decade <laughs> while I was writing. Um, and, and thinking back, it, it was, it was that choice. It was, yeah, the choice about, well, you know, why don't we stay up late and drink wine and, mm. you know, I want you to spend time with me. And it was like, no, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want to. And, mm. um, and yeah, missing weddings and yeah. birthdays and, and things like that because you couldn't stay up late or you didn't have enough money to to travel because you were putting it all to this sole goal um and and that was a bit of a um 
it was a bit of a choice. I mean, having a child, I mean, I started in my thirties, so mm. it was well on my way and, and I already had a daughter and that was pretty much all I could handle. And, and I was a single parent, but her, her dad gave, was probably one of my biggest supporters. So, mm. um, I really couldn't have done it with, without him. I don't mm. know how anyone who's a, a true single parent <laughs> would, you know, yeah. would cope. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much all I had all I had energy for was like, well, I need to, by the time I give part of myself to my daughter and um, do what I need to, to do enough work to feed myself and support us, um, all I've got left is I just want to put that into cycling. Hmm. And I, I don't have enough energy to, um, I don't want to give energy to someone else who, yeah. you know, the outcome's uncertain. People, yeah. are un- <laughs> people are unpredictable. What if I do put energy into that and that doesn't work out, you know? It's not really a, a yeah. safe bet, um, but you know things things change and and um, I wonder if I'd met my current partner in that phase whether it would have been different whether I would have made a different choice but you know definitely now there's a lot of uh, hemp on shift work and staying up late and yeah <laughs> sleeping in late and but it is a fine line like it is I don't you know when when we talk about stopping and actually thinking about sacrifices it's not that you throw everything up that you've always believed in always loved just for the sake of your business career or your study career or your partner like yeah. it there, there's a, a line in there of happy medium I think yeah. it does mean I think like you said you're probably not going to be your most elite self your greatest athlete but you work out where that but what does that mean and, and that's I guess what I got to to realize I mean there is no one thing about crossing the line in my greatest race it was also really disappointing because you start mm. to realize in that sport particularly nothing changes like no mm. one came to me and then said we'll come into the AIS training program and we'll give you a wage and take you you know and make all this easier they kind of patted me on the back and went well done and see you next yeah. year and they, they did I think give me a coach who wasn't a mountain bike coach but um there was you know that was about the level of of interest and support and then it was a bit like well okay how sustainable is and it has to be sustainable how long can I do this for um and what is that ultimately again it's that concept of and I say this for you know you have to give 20% 30% more of yourself to get 1% faster that's that's where it gets to Mm. at at the top end is it worth are the rewards worth it and for some people, they've always dreamed of being elite athlete and for them going and getting a top 10 at the world champs would just be a culmination of their life's work. But it's not, it's not for me. I'm very aware that I've had too many experiences of, of reaching those goals and then actually going, that didn't make me significantly more happy mm. than I was. And you start to realise that I can actually be very happy where I am in a competitive sense and physically competing in Australia and um, doing mountain biking here and still getting on podiums here and not <laughs> not train at that top level mm. and now have um, things like, you know, a, a business and, um, and a partner and a social life and things like that. Mm. So, so I think, yeah, now that I have, um, I realise where I'm comfortable sitting and that changes throughout your your life yeah it does yeah because what you want changes what's important to you changes and um you know 
it's 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 I think it's healthy. Yeah. But it yeah. can be a bit of a uh, so much of your identity when you have um, and even you know from my business I just think well what's going to happen to my business if I stop competing if I stop maybe people only train with me because I've had that question yeah Yeah. and um and I think some of the reassuring things about about my business now I get people um training with me who have no idea who have been as an athlete oh Mm. did you go to world champs like that it's not important to them now I've now morphed my business to a point where I'm known more as I came with you because I know that my mate trained with you and he got a really good result and and I think that's helped me yeah I still feel that pressure but when I've defined myself as an athlete and and you can kind of think, well, you know, I'm really crap at my career or I've been a pretty average parent, but I'm this amazing athlete. And when that ends, you're like, well, who am I? It's a really hard transition to make. And it's it's not just for elite athletes. It's for anyone who's pursued something for a period of time and then it gets to its natural conclusion. Uh, I went, yeah, I really struggled with that about two years ago. Is like what would happen to my career because I seem to only get invited to come and speak because I'm an athlete or, you know, people only trust my opinion because, um, or, you know, my coaching opinion because, gee, it must work for her because she won a race or, you know, whatever it is. I've definitely felt that pressure last year when I ran the 100K in the Blue Mountains, which is a huge event, and had 1,700 people following these training plans. And I kept thinking, I've never run 100K. Like, yeah. what is going to happen <laughs> if I if I fail? Like, how's that going to reflect on your coaching? But I think the more and more you become confident in yourself <laughs> and as Hanny or as Jody, away from all of that, all the coaching, all the the athleticism and you're confident in yourself then the more it doesn't really bother you um so we i now talk about like how i have hanny and then i have hanny tm trademark you know hanny business hanny or you know like public hanny and then the private hanny and i find like if i'm happy in myself or confident in myself then things kind of fit together yeah um which is probably a flow on into like wrapping up but um I'm really interested to know what, you know, so obviously biomedical science, you're already a sports masseuse, you, know, you run a coaching business. What what next for you? Like what do you, yeah, where do you see yourself going as a career and as an athlete? Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm still, so I started, um, I've actually started in just a science degree, human physiology, but within my first residential school, I talked to so many other people and, I wanted to keep it as broad as possible because I'm like, yeah, look, I know I want to be in this area, but I'm just not sure where and something's going to click. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think for me being in the lab and stuff like that, I was like, oh, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind. After so many years, I think I broke my foot at the end of last year. So I couldn't mountain bike coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to hobble around in a boot trying to massage. And I started to realize that having careers that are relying on my body to be in one piece is not yeah. particularly <laughs> yeah that one resonates too. yeah yeah <laughs> so um so yeah and I think and my partner working in medicine I was always very interested in what he was doing and but not particularly wanted to deal with the patients um and the blood and the gore so yeah I think I just sort of um really have an interest in in health and um being in that health space you know, I looked at something like exercise physiology, but, you know, you're basically prescribing exercise programs to people, which is what I do now. So, mm. Um, mm. so yeah, I think the next phase will be something that's probably um, a bit less stressful in the body. And it, coaching is, um, 
you know, it does require a lot of thought and, and intellect as well, but it's very much interpreting people. It's more about reading people, whereas this is far more technical and mm. learning, you know, the nitty-gritty of how the body functions and illnesses and disorders. So, yeah, probably, hopefully moving into something like pathology and um, working, Interesting. working in that area. Yeah. So, I find that it's been such an amazing launch pad for me. It was my first degree. And then I went on and did many other things after it. But it's probably the one that I rely on the most. Um, and what I found helped me, so we're, we're just chatting on the podcast here, but anyway, whatever, um, was the, you know, performance consulting because people could come to you with challenges and you had the scientific knowledge to be able to problem solve through that with yeah. them and then to be able to add your coaching hat layer over the top of it and be able to prescribe outcomes. Yeah. It was um, It was a really, I found it a really powerful medium to yeah. work with okay. so i'm really excited to see where yeah. you go um yeah and any you've obviously been we didn't really talk about it much but i um you've been heavily involved in the adventure racing scene more recently so have you got any any big races coming up or any um yeah so where um so adventure racing was probably where mountain biking was when i first started um a bit kind of scattered and a lot of um races that weren't particularly pulled together and um so it's, I've come in at a great time. I feel like I'm starting again. Uh, so, yeah, there's now uh, essentially a national series for adventure racing. Mm-hmm. And um, I did that last year with another team. And then this year, doing it with my own team, with my partner, um, John, and mutual friend of ours, Gary. Um, cool. And then I think, think we've settled on it. So adventure racing, getting the team together is the hardest part. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we've settled on our fourth uh, guy named Russell. So yeah, we, we won the first race of the series, so we're leading at the moment, and then we've got the next race, um, first weekend of May, up in Cairns, 24-hour race. So it'll be a 24-hour race, um, a 48-hour race in June, and then a, another, I think it's a 24-hour race, yeah, in August. So just keeps rolling on, and then um, mountain bike-wise, we haven't got a lot planned this year, there's not a lot, not a lot of racing in Tassie, but... Um, I've a friend just got an epic um, entry to the Cape Epic, which is the biggest mm. mountain bike race in the world, and um, and we're going to do that together. So <laughs> awesome! Well, it sounds like a really fully exciting year. Um, yeah. I've got all of your your blogs, um, your link into Facebook, Instagram, so that I'm sorry, not Instagram, LinkedIn. So if people want to connect with you. They can, and obviously through the bikeright.com.au. Is that through yeah. where you're doing your coaching now? Yeah, so my webpage is bikeright.com.au. Um, so you can send me an email through there or give me a call on Facebook. Um, if you go to my LinkedIn profile, you're probably going to be very disappointed because I haven't <laughs> really got across that yet. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm available. Um, yeah, just, just for general, I love talking about training and giving people information. So even if you're not, not a current client, um, don't hesitate to get in touch. Thanks, Jody. Yeah, I feel like today was just a really interesting look more at the, um, I guess in some ways, the, the big traps and also the big opportunities, but what constitutes performance and the, the sacrifices and the willpower and the training that needs to go into like really striving to be the top, but, but working out where those fine lines are, where it starts to kind of go the other way. So... Yeah, and look, I think, um, I mean, I would think that a lot of your listeners are just average people who just want to do some pretty extraordinary things. And, um, you know, like we've discussed, it's not, um, I think the biggest thing looking back was 
you know, there was this thought, well, if you haven't made the Olympics by the time you're finished high school or you're in some elite training program that you should just give up and it's not for you. Mm. And it's definitely not um, not the case. I was inspired watching the Manchester Commonwealth Games and Australian women went one, two, three in the marathon. Yeah. And since I met all three of those women, two of whom are deceased now, which is quite sad, but um, two of them had kids and I just had my daughter and I just thought, well, okay, this is not over. We... People still do this, people, you know, so I'd say, look, if just because, um, you know, you feel like you missed your chance in, in your younger days and you didn't have that traditional pathway, um, it's not too late. You could, you know, still go on to achieve something pretty, pretty amazing and have Absolutely. some great experiences. Absolutely. But, it, but I think it's just bringing a willingness to be conscious around the decisions as you go into that world um, and to, to want to empower yourself as you go through it. So yeah. educate yourself as you go through the journey rather than just handing the reins over completely to someone else or to just getting on the latest fad and trend and hoping, crossing your fingers that, yeah, <laughs> that it works. Yeah, I think my last advice would be have a good team. No one who reaches that, that level, um, they all have a team around them and um, they're teams of, of supportive people who are experts in their own field and, uh, you know, a combination of that is, is probably going to be the best um, to guide you. Brilliant. Jodie, thank you so much for today and um, we'll look forward to seeing where you go next.